0: And welcome to episode three of the brand new Testudo Times podcast, where there will be no mention of Tom Brady's deflated balls. Joining us on this Rashid Suleiman episode, this is basically why we are recording this today, first off, a mainstay on the podcast for the first three episodes, Alex Kersner. Hello, Alex. Hey, Matt. How's it going? It is good to speak with you. We are both trying to get through finals at the moment, so we're gutting it out. We're gutting it out. Almost done. And uh, joining us now, two new guests. First is one of the great writers on Testudo Times. You know him and love him, Dave Tucker. Welcome to the show, Dave. Thanks. How's it going? It is going very well. And as was told to me in our group chat conversation today, Testudo Times resident hypologist, Andrew Emmer. Hello, Andrew. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me back.
0: It is good to have you here. It is a Rashid Suleiman episode. He is officially committed to Maryland. There's a lot of different layers to talk about on this, off the court, on the court, and how Maryland might actually, in the real world, not in my fever dreams, be ranked number one in the country heading into the preseason. We'll start first, I guess, with the general sense. We talked about this two weeks ago on the show, and I believe, Alex, you said that the chance of this happening was 50-50. As time went on, it became pretty clear that this was going to happen Are you surprised that it moved as quickly as it did, that the process came down, so now Rashid Suleiman is going to play at Maryland next season?
2: Um, I guess maybe a tad surprised that it went as quickly as it did, just because my understanding was that Duke uh, was around its own finals time, so uh, I wasn't sure if Suleiman would be making the trip here uh, last weekend like he did. Um, But it's not surprising that he'd want to have this decision out of the way. Uh, I don't think it could have been much fun for him to be in the news like he was for the last— four months of his life, so it's probably good for him to get this process behind him and, and get started on something new.
0: Dave, we haven't had a chance to really get your opinion on this. Uh, are you surprised that Rashid Suleiman ended up at Maryland?
3: Um, I'm not terribly surprised. I think when Damian Lee didn't end up at Maryland, that was kind of an indication that something else could be coming. And um, as I'm sure Andrew can talk about, Suleiman from his just how he does as a player and how he performs is a really, really good fit for Maryland. So it's not entirely surprising. Um, it, it just gives them a fantastic starting five for next year. And Andrew, are you surprised
0: that it ended up it ended up either A, happening this quickly or B, that it happened at all in your view? Uh,
1: I think it's become pretty clear uh, with the Damian Lee saga and now the Rasheed Suleiman saga that Suleiman was the guy that Turton had in mind all along. Uh, in the press release today, they discuss a three-month vetting process for Suleiman, which means that that must have started well before uh, even Damian Lee decided he was going to commit, because he didn't even announce he was he was going to transfer uh, until about I think beginning of April, maybe end of March. Uh, so that would have been earlier than three months ago. So, it, and we had heard rumors of during the uh, Damian Lee situation that. Uh, Turgeon wasn't pursuing him as hard as a lot of fans wanted him to be pursued, uh, and that he had another person in mind, so it's clear that Suleiman was a guy in mind all along.
0: So we should make it clear that he gra- he's graduating from Duke, so he is going to be eligible to play immediately next season, and will be here for one year like Rashad Pak. Let's start with the on-the-court stuff. He is going to play probably in the two-guard. Well, most certainly he'll play the two-guard next to Melo Trimble. Alex, what does he offer specifically that Maryland lacked last season?
2: I don't think he offers a lot that Maryland lacked last season. I think he offers what Maryland stood to lose uh, if Des Wells had been left unreplaced. I mean, it's not an exact one-to-one switch that's being made here. I mean, Maryland's roster is going to look a lot different top to bottom. Um, But, you know, what Des Wells brought to Maryland first and foremost was an outstanding perimeter defender, uh, somebody who had the athleticism, the slashing ability to penetrate when he wanted to on offense. Uh, Rashid Suleiman can do those things. He's not the same kind of finisher at the rim that Deswells was. He won't post up around the hoop like Deswells did, uh, but he's a you know a little bit more perimeter oriented. He'll make some more three pointers um, and play a little bit more like a classic shooting guard uh, than the swingman that Wells sometimes was. Um, that's an element that Maryland would have lost uh, if they hadn't brought in somebody like Suleiman And frankly, on the transfer market. Um, There really was nobody else like Suleiman. So he fills a a hole that Wells left when he left.
0: A follow-up to that. Do you think because Maryland now can move Jake Lehman higher up the lineup and they have Robert Carter that some of those elements you were just speaking about with Dez Wells, they didn't necessarily need a like-for-like in that sense when when you're talking about replacing Dez and you
2: can now afford to have more of a classic too? I think so. And I think that having Lehman back at the 3 is probably good for a couple of reasons. I think Maryland has three excellent rebounders uh, in its starting lineup now. Uh, rebounding became a serious weakness for this team through Big Ten play last year. That's just not going to be the case again. Um, they'll probably be one of the best rebounding teams in the country uh, with Robert Carter anchoring that. So I think the way their their roster is constructed right now, it, it is a little bit more classic than they had last year, uh, but it should work. I can't believe you just said Maryland's going to be one of the best teams in the
0: country in rebounding. I remember watching that West Virginia game. It was it was pretty ugly. Dave, one of the things that Pete mentioned on our last show was how Rasheed Suleiman's performance from his freshman year to recently had been going downward. He hadn't been necessarily improving. Are you worried about that
3: this season? I'm not worried about it because I think it certainly seems like what he was dealing with at Duke in terms of playing less was an issue and one could potentially say that it could be what contributed to him being dismissed from the team. We don't know why he was dismissed from the team, but his playing time continued to diminish and that seemed like to be an issue for him. Um, I think whatever happened, he knows that he's going to have to be a team player now. And he talked about that in a couple interviews today and he I think has learned from his previous mistakes that he's going to have to fit within a system. But I think Mark Turgeon, one of his biggest struggles next year is going to have to be balancing all of these guys who can play exceptionally well and balancing those minutes accordingly and kind of pulling all the right strings in order to really maximize this roster that he now has.
0: Which is one of the best in the country, and we're going to get to that. Especially, there's a lot of interesting lineup questions. Andrew, is there anything you find interesting about Suleiman on the court? How he pairs up with Melo? How he's going to be able to play as a starter, as a two? Anything for Maryland that you wanted to that you find particularly interesting about this?
1: Uh, for me, I think the biggest thing he brings is perimeter defense. Uh, there was nobody on Maryland's team next year that I really trusted to guard an excellent. An, ex, an excellent uh, guard opposing them on another team, you know, like a Yogi Ferrell or Robert Johnson or, uh, you know, James Blackman Jr. Uh, and now Maryland has that. I mean, they... Mellow Trimble's fine, and Jared Nickens and Dion Wiley were fine at times, but, but they're not... If Maryland wants to win a national championship, they need someone who can shut down the other... or do a good, at least, attempt to shut down the other team's best guard. And Marylanders didn't have anyone on the roster to do that. And now at least they have someone that can come close to doing that. And that's a really big hold that I think they fill.
0: That's It's interesting because when we watched specifically those Indiana games, when we saw guards that would just go off and you knew it was going to happen because Yogi Ferrell playing against Maryland means he would score 10 threes when his three point shooting percentage in every other game would be pretty poor. We'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the baggage and the off the court issues that come with Rashid Soleiman, And Alex can talk about this in much more detail than any of us can. So Alex Explain, if for those who have not been caught up and those who might not be aware of this story, talk about a little bit of the stuff that has been
2: going on with Rashid Suleiman off the court. Uh, well, there's a lot of things that we don't know. There are a few things that we do know. Uh, we know that he became the first player in 35 years of Mike Shashevsky's reign at Duke to be kicked off the team at midseason. That had never happened before, and that's obviously not a good look. Uh, we know that the Duke student newspaper, the Duke Chronicle, uh, published a report that was sourced anonymously and secondhand, um, stating that two separate women had accused him of sexual assaults. Um, that had that did not get followed up on either in the university judiciary uh, or with local police, but the report did exist in the newspaper there. Um, and Suleiman has stated publicly that his dismissal from the team had nothing at all to do with the, the acts that were mentioned in that report. Um, so what that means is that you know that's the end of what we know. Um, he could have been kicked off the team for any number of reasons. Um, I'm sure that he wasn't elated about seeing his playing time fall over each of the two years after what was a pretty good freshman year. That might have contributed to it. In fact, uh, I don't think it's much of a, a leap of faith. To, a much of a leap of faith to say that it did. Um, but a lot of it we just don't know. And, and I think what Maryland has to hope is that. By virtue of getting this second chance from Mark Turgeon, who he's known for years since he was 12 or 13, uh, that whatever the problem was won't be a problem again.
0: Now, one of the things that we did not mention in the last show when we talked a little about Rashid Suleiman off the court is how he, that he and uh, he being Mark Turgeon, dealt with Des Wells, who his situation is similar but in other ways very different. Now, we can talk about the Des Wells situation all we want, and how it's different, but. He was able to rehabilitate Des Wells, and Des Wells became a very important player for Maryland last three years. Dave, these situations, obviously, they're not analogous, and they're not entirely similar, but do you think that Mark Turgeon's success with one leads him to be more willing to take a leap of faith in a season where he might not have been willing as much to take a risk?
3: Well, I think you know these are really two apples and oranges situations here that you're talking about. Des Wells... Was dismissed by Xavier because of an alleged um, case of sexual assault, which then um, the district attorney chose not to pursue. And um, Des also has settled out of court with Xavier for that. And in this particular instance, it's that's not why he was dismissed. He wasn't dismissed from the and university. I'm not saying that he was. I'm not saying that. No. He- right. Yeah. Right, yeah. But I'm still saying he. Um, you're talking about two different cases. I don't know if one really plays into the other. Um, we know that Maryland did a three month investigation looking into Suleiman and everything that happened with all of this. Um, but again, it's you're talking about an actual accuser, you're talking about a university dismissal, and then you're talking about this completely different situation with Suleiman. So I mean I don't I don't really think that Mark Turgeon's going out and looking for cases like this um and it, it, i think it's more coincidental than anything else i mean maybe it can help him in in dealing with this but i just think they're two differently you know completely different things
0: i completely agree with you on that but other people have made the comparison so we felt like we need to bring it up andrew do you have anything to add to this
1: no, i think they pretty much covered it there are there certainly issues but i mean maryland did their due diligence
0: and that's all we can say that they needed to do. Okay, let's get now back to the bigger picture here for Maryland. It's very early, but now we have a good sense of what Maryland's 10, 11 consistent players are going to look like next season. I'll start with Andrew on this. Is this the best team Maryland has had? I saw some people say this is better than 2002. It, this was probably the best team that Maryland's had since then. Is it better than 2002? So I'll start with you, Andrew. Yes.
1: Yeah, Explain. I, think clearly, I think clearly it is. Uh, I mean, 2002 had the experience in, you know, Juan was a, a senior and Stevie was a, a junior and Wilcox was a sophomore, right, Dave?
3: Uh, yep.
1: And Lonnie Baxter was a senior. Uh, Byron Mouton was a, he was a senior. Uh, so it had all of that, but on, on just talent. And I mean, and the NCAA is a much different place than it was uh, 15 years ago and 12 years ago and even like 40 years ago. And we're talking about the other great Turps teams in the 70s. Uh, but yeah, no. This is the most talented Terps team that there's ever been. I don't really know how you can how you can even argue at that point at this uh, right now.
3: Dave, no, I completely agree. I think this team, at least starting out on paper, is better than that 2002 team was. And if you even go back to the start and the finish of that season, Maryland, the final AP poll came out before the NCAA tournament was over. Maryland was not ranked number one. When that final AP Bowl came out, uh, Duke was the number one ranked team that particular year. If you look at the roster from top to bottom with what Maryland is starting with this year compared to what they started with in 2002, I think you have to say this is probably a deeper team and they just have, I think, more talent at every single position, whereas the 2002 team might have had more talented players to some extent.
0: Alex, when you look at this team, now comparing it to the rest of the country, it's still very, it's still May, but now you're starting to see people say, this team could be ranked number one overall in the preseason. Who is going to be a challenger to Maryland in that regard when the first preseason polls are released in October?
2: Uh, definitely North Carolina, uh, probably Kentucky. Uh, and, and, you know, you might see um, some love for, for schools like Virginia and Kansas – I think the top three teams in the preseason polls are probably going to be Kentucky, North Carolina, and Maryland in no particular order. Um, I think, you know, Kentucky probably gets a spot there um, just by virtue of of an expectation of what Calipari will do with the recruiting class like he has, as always.
1: I think it depends Um, on who they get, though.
2: It could. It could. But the thing is, even if they don't close this month on on one or two of those guys that they're looking for, um, they're still going to have Isaiah Briscoe and and Scott LeBizier, who's, you know, Probably the only big man in the country who's better than Diamond Stone. Mm-hmm. So, I, I think they yeah.
1: probably need to get Murray and Thompson Maker to be number three, to be in the top three.
2: Yeah, I mean it'll be it'll be an interesting look, but I think Maryland and North Carolina. Um, you know, it's funny because uh, everyone wants to see Duke in the uh, in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. The
0: rumor is UNC.
2: Yeah, Rumors is UNC. But Maryland and North Carolina um, probably. My guess is, I guess if I had to make a guess, it'd be that. North Carolina is ranked one, and Maryland's ranked two, but I, that's pretty 50 50 ish So I think, I think if that's a Big Ten ACC game, uh, both teams probably be undefeated at that point, um, and and that would be that would be a great game. I can see those those two teams being right there at the top.
0: Andy Katz said oh, a couple of weeks ago. I think it was a couple of weeks. Ago, it might have been a week ago that he his guess is Maryland North Carolina. Now I'm assuming that game's in Chapel Hill, but since Maryland hosted a game last year, but I have no idea. So. When we look now at this team, and we're going to get more deeply into it, in terms of a rotation, in terms of guys, we we can talk about the starting lineup. We can guess what that is now. There's not really anything past that. But what about the lower guys? How do you see the rotation going? We'll start with you, Alex.
2: Uh, I think it's probably a 10-man rotation. Uh, Maybe 11 if Ivan Bender, uh, the reserve forward from Europe. uh, Croatia. Croatia. Croatia finds a way into into the rotation. I don't know that he will, um, just because the 11s a lot. Although maybe in non-conference play there's some room, um, but Maryland's too deep at every position barring any transfers. And, and again, you have to um, you have to consider the possibility that somebody will leave, especially after the addition of somebody like Suleiman who's going to take a lot of minutes. Um, but as it stands right now, uh, Trimble and Jalen Brantley at the point. Um, Suleiman and Deion Wiley and Jared Nickens uh, kind of at the two and three Jake Lehman at the three and four uh, Rob Carter and DeMonte Dodd and then and then stone and Michael Tchaikovsky. so it's it, it's a 10-man system I don't think they'll platoon or anything like John Calpar did last year with Kentucky uh, but I could see you know most of those starters playing 30 32 minutes a game uh, and everybody else settling between 10 and 18
0: we got a question uh at the uh, Testudo Times account for this show, who's the first man off the bench? So I'll go to Dave first on that.
3: Um, I don't know. I mean, I think it's really going to depend on what the the situation is. Um, if you're just talking about straight off the bench without numbers, any,
0: he was talking six man. So who's the six man for this team?
3: Probably Jared Nickens would be my guess. Um, I mean, maybe Brantley. I'm not. I would say it's probably J- Nickens or Brantley. Andrew?
1: Uh, I mean, it, it's a cop-out, but it depends on who's in foul trouble. Because it, if it's a big man, then it's going to be DeMonte probably over Checo. Although I think that Checo is going to have a, a nice big uh, bump in his ability in this offseason. But just in terms of who gets the sixth most minutes, I'll say it's Nickens.
0: That makes sense. I want to I go quickly into Michael Tchaikovsky, because one of the best parts about last season was he had his best games, his two best games, were against Wisconsin and Iowa State, which made no sense to me. And it's still looking back on those two games; it still makes no sense how good he was against George Niang and Frank Kaminsky. I think it makes plenty of sense. Explain, because to me, I mean, it's kind of the Alex yeah. Len was dominant against Kentucky and Duke, and then bad against well, well, most he, other people. But he was no, great think, against I, those
1: teams because they single teamed him, and exactly. every other team double teamed
2: him. Exactly. If you Chakovsky, his biggest weakness last year uh, was rotating on defense, and, and moving in the way that uh Division One offenses force him to move. And that you know that's a tough gig. Uh but, you know, against Frank Kaminsky and against uh George's Niang and, and I think even against darian Atkins and Anthony Gill in spots when they played Virginia, uh, and was really good because he's seven foot one. And when you're seven foot one, you know where the ball's going. If you stand there, um it's pretty tough to beat you. And and he's pretty good at staying down on ball fakes and things like that. So in terms of a one on one defender uh, Maryland's got a good one and the best players, you know, they're going to take you one-on-one.
0: Anything else? Anybody want to add to that?
2: I'm going to take the silences and no,
0: uh, we have to talk about this because I am Mr. Negative. I'm taking that title from Alex. Uh, sorry, everybody who liked Alex being the most negative person on test two times. That's going to be me now. Can't wait until you hear me talk about football. Anyway, if there is a weakness, a discernible weakness for this team that could trip them up, what do you think it is? I'll start with Dave.
3: I think it's going to be balancing the the minutes for this team. You have an incredible starting five now. You have a lot of guys who are very capable of scoring, and you're going to have to make sure you're running your offense the way you want it to be run. And um, I think that's going to be Turgeon's biggest coaching challenge next year. He's done a great job. Reloading this team I mean just think about Where Maryland was This time Last year We're talking about Five people transferring From the team Him being on the Potential hot seat And now We're talking about Maryland being the Number one team In the country To start the year It's amazing How that's happened Andrew What weaknesses Do you see for this team That, that really good teams
0: Are going to be able To exploit
1: I still I'm going to question The defense And I actually think It's a pretty a pretty Big question mark Uh you know, Suleiman helps, but we don't really know what Diamond Stone and, and Robert Carter Jr. are going to be in the post. Uh, I mean, there, it's almost impossible for a freshman center to have be a, a great defender, and that's you know, there's Anthony Davis, and and there's not many others who are you know really great defenders as as freshmen. Uh, and then Robert Carter Jr. wasn't really known as a defensive stopper uh, when he was at Georgia Tech, so that's going to be a big, big a big issue because and then on the perimeter as well. I mean, we, we talked about the perimeter defense with with Suleiman, but then he's you know, he can't guard everybody. You still have to put Melo on somebody. You still have to have minutes of, of Dion and Jared. Uh, so I could see a lot of games where Maryland's winning eighty-five to seventy-seven because they just can't get the big you know the big three stops in a row to put put a team away at the end.
0: Follow-up on that. Follow-up on that. Sorry, Alex, but do you think Maryland can win the majority of the games, 85 to 77, if they have to?
1: Oh, I think their offense is going to be ridiculous. I, I just think that the offense, the balance on offense, is is going to be one of the best in the country. And, and Turgeon is not really knows an offensive coach. He's much more of a defensive coach. So that is, you know, if, you, if you're questioning the defense at this point, you could. there is a way to just say, you know what, Turgeon will figure it out. It's kind of like with rebounding where Turgeon just – focus on rebounding and defense uh but if the offense clicks with two guys that you have to that are severe huge offensive threats down low in diamond stone and robert freder jr and then the, the three-point shooting that you know potentially five guys that can shoot 40 percent or higher from three with Melo, Suleiman, layman nickens maybe Jalen brantley maybe even Dion wiley i mean that's that's stupid that's you're not going to be able to you have to pick your poison and There's five poisons out there at all times on this Maryland team.
0: Alex, what do you think about that? Can Maryland win most of their games 85 to 77? Then, since this is the Big Ten, they're going to have to play some low scoring slogs. We saw that and saw how much Maryland had issues with that on the road in the Big Ten last season.
2: Yeah, sure. I think they can. I think that the notion that defense wins championships is a little bit, and by a little bit, I mean 10 to 15 years outdated at this point. Um, You know, you saw the Wisconsin last year. Uh, had merely a pretty good defense and the best offense in the country, and it took them pretty far. Michigan followed the same formula to the national championship game a few years ago. Um, obviously, I'm picking on national title game losers, but but you get the point. Um, I think is that is supposed to
0: be indicative of something? Uh,
2: you know, I don't think so. I think that once you get to that point, it's a coin flip. But I think the interesting thing for Maryland, and you know, the, the potential challenge, um, is just going to be finding the right fits of five-man units because Maryland's starting five. I mean, it's probably going to be, uh, the Trimble, Suleiman, Lamont, Carter, Stone unit, um, but it's not going to—you know—they're—they're they're unlikely to go five for five switching the entire season. Um, seeing how, say, a Jared Nickens fits in with Maryland's other, uh, you know, starting players, and how maybe you use a guy like Deion Wiley off the bench for uh, some perimeter defense in a pinch if somebody's in foul trouble, things like that. Um, I think it's going to be especially interesting with Nickens because he's—you know—if you put Nickens on the floor with really any four of Maryland's current starters. Um, there's going to be no one near him, I and mean, I think he's going to be able to just kind of camp in the corner and take target practice as much as he wants. He could he could have a lot of fun next season.
0: And that's one of the things that I'm very excited about. He When he got to spot up shots in the corner, he made them almost all the time. But you're forgetting a defensive guard that is going to be back next season, Alex. You're forgetting Varun Ram. Don't forget yeah. about Varun Ram. And, uh, he uh, saved he was- us in a tournament game against Valpo. Do not forget Varun Ram. Uh, we have to move on quickly to teams in the Big Ten. Again, you said in our chat today that nine Big Ten teams could make the tournament. That seems a bit crazy uh, since, we, since the only te- conference that ever did that well was the Big East a couple of years ago, and that was an absolute aberration. Talk about teams, well, at first at the top that are going to be competing with Maryland, I'm thinking Indiana, Mich- Michigan State. But what is the strength of the Big Ten going into next season? And we'll do it quickly because we don't have all that much time. Uh, as, of course, because the Big Ten was not nearly as good as we thought it was going to be. So, Alex, we'll start with you.
2: I think it's strength and size, really. It's going to be a great conference with a lot of really good bigs. And obviously, there's good guard play in their head, just like there was last year. Um, but a number of these teams, uh, you know, we don't know which one is going to be the one that winds up with Caleb Swanigan, who's Diamond Stones five star peer uh, at center. But a number of these teams are going to have really good front court additions. Um, and just guys who were young last year, and, and will get a lot better. Uh, Wisconsin added somebody yesterday, uh, a European forward, whose name alludes me, Alex Van Vliet. Um, Who's Belgian. Purdue Perd- is going to you know, have... He's
1: from Belgium, Wisconsin. Belgium, I to, Wisconsin? I thought so, too, and he's from Dang! Belgium. Are you so serious? I thought he
2: was going to be from Belgium. That's, that's that would have been fun. really fun. No, I had no idea, but anyway. Um, you know, is a Belgian, Purdue, I, I, think, I think teams like Purdue uh, and Ohio State... Uh, obviously, Maryland with Carter and Stone um, are going to kind of work their way up the conference. Oh, and and and, and Indiana, of course, uh, with Thomas Bryant another year of Trojans. I think you're going to see a lot of teams uh, that have really good front lines at the top of the conference. Uh, and and I think last year guard play kind of defined the Big Ten. I mean, even at the bottom, where DJ Newble was the only thing keeping Penn State from being 100 unwatchable. Um, you'll see this year. I think you know the. Big Ten is going to kind of rebalance toward the front courts and it's going to be an interesting battle in the trenches.
0: There's a Belgium-Wisconsin. I'm not really surprised with all the beer in Wisconsin. But anyway, Dave, what do you think on the uh, big strength of the Big Ten next season?
3: I mean, I think what Alex said is, is really accurate. I also think the Big Ten has a lot of really good coaches too. And a lot of these coaches are going to have really talented rosters and everything, every night is going to be a slugfest in that conference. I think What you really saw this past season with Maryland was, you know, these are really big physical games. And now you're going to have eight or nine teams that are very, very capable of winning on any given night. And when you couple that with great coaching, with talented rosters, that they're going to be very exciting in physical games. I mean... I shouldn't maybe say exciting, that could be dull and boring, but they're certainly going to be physical, especially under the basket. And I think is, that's the Big Ten's biggest strength.
2: Is there anything in the Big Ten that, you know, any team in the Big Ten outside of Nebraska, Rutgers, and Penn State that is not a potential tournament team next year? It's a
0: early. It's early that. Um, I'm trying to think.
2: I think, a, I think it's probably got 11 possible tournament teams in that That league. is crazy. It's crazy deep.
0: Uh, and, Andrew, one more question on that subject, and then we're going to wrap it up. Do you think that it's going to be different for Maryland because they're going to be the preseason Big Ten favorite? Everybody is going to say the Big Ten goes through College Park, and that's true. Maryland is going to be the preseason favorite. Do you think Maryland's going to have to play any differently with a target on their back now? And they didn't necessarily have to as much last season because they weren't the best team going away.
1: I think by the time they got to Big Ten play, there was a target on their back, and Turgeon even acknowledged that and and why they struggled on on all of those road games. Um, But yeah, it's going to be different because Maryland has only gone into a season like this once before in the entire history of Maryland, and that was in 2002 when they lost in the Final Four the year before and brought back essentially everybody and uh, expected to win the national title then did win the national title. I mean, this Maryland team is going to have... The most hype, just because we live in an era now where hype builds more than it did in 2001, 2002. Uh, so this is going to be the most hyped Maryland team of all time. So it, just by, by its nature,
0: it's going to be different. So for all of us, how are we managing expectations? I saw somebody mention, where do we buy our 40 and 0 shirts? Pump the brakes, guys. So how do we manage expectations? I guess we'll have a chance to talk about that in November and December. And remember...
2: Yeah, why, do oh, you does it, why does it matter if fans manage expectations? They're not playing the games.
0: Ah, geez. Well, you we you see Maryland fans. You know how we you know how we all deal with one loss. It's the end of the world. Anyway, that is it for this Rashid Suleiman, and Maryland basketball is going to be awesome episode of the podcast. I'm going to thank everybody. Alex, thank you for joining us. Get back to finals and get back to writing that essay. Thank you, Andrew. It was good to have you on this first show. Hopefully, we will have you back again soon.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: And Dave, it's been good to have you. We had technical problems on the last show, but none today, which is obviously a good thing. Yes, indeed. By the way, you can now listen to the show on SoundCloud. We'll make sure to post it as soon as we can. It will be under the Testudo Times podcast. And yes, the show, too, is on iTunes as well. It is under the Testudo Times podcast. It will have my name, Matt Lichtenstadter, under it. It's the way to differentiate it from the old podcast, which is still there. And I'm not saying it's bad, but it's a bit dated now. So you can listen there. And, of course, follow me at Matt's Musings 1s. And you probably already follow Alex, Andrew, and Dave since you like Testudo time so much. Thanks so much for listening. We will be back hopefully in two weeks. There might be something to talk about then. And until then, go Terps.